I am Matthew Lestalia. I'm founder and chief strategist at Resilient Talent Solutions, a company that I started to bridge the gap between what CEOs and employees want. In recent years, the desires of employees have started to transform, and many businesses are struggling to adjust their organizations to accommodate this new landscape, as is evidenced in the last two years, but especially highlighted over the past six months, where we've seen record-setting voluntary quit rates in the United States. I believe that as a workforce, the US is now shifting into the third rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this must be the new baseline for organizations who are in the hunt to find, acquire, and retain critical talent. Hey, what's up everyone and welcome to another episode here where we're gonna be talking about talent. We're gonna be talking about resilience and how to build resilience with your talent in your organizations. Um, today, I wanted to talk about something that had been floating around. Last week caught quite a bit of traction and figured that it was uh, pretty pertinent to the show here. And that is the new infamous Netflix culture memo that came out. Right, very exciting stuff. Now this memo stated, I have two different excerpts from this. You can find it online, super easy, Google search away, not hidden at all, so that's pretty cool. But I wanted to hit a couple of uh, key paragraphs here that I wanted to discuss. One of which everyone is talking about and another one I wanted to layer kind of against it. So um, the first one is, quote, the thing we most value is working with talented people in highly creative and productive ways. That's why our core philosophy is people over process. Why we are, why we try to bring great people together as a dream team. Of course, any growing business requires some process and structure, but with our people first approach, we can be more flexible, creative, and successful in everything we do. Right? That's quote one. Um, and the second one, which is the much more infamous and much well more well-known uh, aspect um, that a lot of people have been discussing, um, but if you've not heard it yet or are not familiar, this is it. And it's, quote, as employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. All right, so this is what um, everyone has been uh, kind of talking about and has been kind of making its way around the water coolers, so to speak. <laughs> and so I wanted to, I wanted to dive into this and look at look at these two uh, statements from the same culture memo, and discuss whether or not these are contradiction in terms. You know, how can a company state that their core philosophy is people over process, and then state later in that same memo that if you don't want to work on a piece of content, that you should find another place to work. Right. It doesn't sound like people over process. It sounds like, you know, process over people. Um, but most importantly, I really wanted to tie this into um, what lessons can be drawn from this, from this action and what led up to it and how that really applies to you and your business and your organization and how you look at managing your most important resource, which is your human resource. Um, all of the talent you got for you. So today we're gonna dig in and we're gonna find out. We're gonna learn more about these statements about this memo 
and about how that applies to you and your business. Now, to the question. The obvious answer is whether or not this is hypocritical um, is uh, yes. You know, it, it, it seems like a contradiction in terms. You know, a company cannot, cannot do this, um, especially in the way that, that I framed it. You know, like, do you, are you people over process when you are saying that you are telling people to leave um, if they don't fit into your process? Because part of that process is having people work on titles that they're not comfortable with, right? That's the process. You have to work on these titles. Um, you can amend that process that you only have to work on titles that you are comfortable with, right? So that sounds like a process over people. And so I wanted to illuminate this, right? So I framed it in that way. Um, because that's the way that that many people, especially some of the louder voices, uh, are perceiving this. But um, I wanted to take you into my perspective and how these things are actually not just in alignment, but in like perfect alignment. They they are intricately. My God, I am not on my A game today. Um, but I wanted to talk to you guys about how I believe that these are actually in perfect and complete alignment. And I'll tell you how not only this can be true, but also why it matters and why you need to adopt this philosophy into your organization if you want to see long-term success over the days, weeks, months, years, and decades to come. This is critical for your relationship with your employees, which is critical for your business success moving forward. But before I do, I dive straight into that. I wanted to uh, I wanted to hit you guys up with this section that I've been really enjoying doing lately, and it is a um, it's a personal recommendation from my own life. Right, so this is not an ad section. This I'm not selling anything. I am simply. Um, letting you guys know some things that I'm involved in that have made my life markedly better and that I really enjoy and that I think can improve not just your personal life or your physical health or, or your business, but things that kind of spread across all of the domains. And so these are the things that I like to do that make my life better and make my work life better, make my family life better. And these will span from different focus areas. Uh, this one, last one I talked about networks and I talked about like the Nomad Network and things like that. And this week I wanted to, and that was all about business connections and, and, and finding like-minded individuals pursuing similar goals, even if it's, uh, even if you are geographically disparate, if you're spread out. This week I wanted to talk about um, physical fitness and this is particularly, uh, well-timed because we just finished this virtual reality challenge that was very demanding, right? <laughs> so um, my wife and I really got into the Oculus uh, Meta Facebook's VR gaming system. We got it for the kids, um, and so we got a couple of them, and we wanted to make sure that when we, it, it was for this past Christmas, and when we gave it to them, we wanted to make sure that they were 
hooked up. They didn't have to do a bunch of the processing and downloading and, and setup and stuff like that. So we went through and we did all of that and we were looking at games that we thought they would like and we downloaded some of them and then we tested them out and made sure that everything was working. And when we did, like, I, I gamed when I was younger and so, uh, like, a lot of the first-person shooters and stuff on there I was naturally attracted to. I haven't played video games in years. And my wife was never, never a video game player, like, in any way, shape, or form. I think the last video game console she played was an Atari and so she is not at all inclined to enjoy video games but we ended up finding this first person shooter called Contractors that we really fell in love with but that was just that was like the gateway drug right and I think it's because we're both military and it was pretty realistic like there's a lot of weapon action and stuff like that in there that was like oh this is really cool you know and, and it's challenging and it's fun and we get to do it together and it's it's been a cool thing uh, to add into the relationship just fun random add in there but what it really did is this opened the door to things virtual reality all things vr and we ended up discovering this uh program um called supernatural and it's basically like a boxing and a flow is what they call it and so um, those that are familiar with VR, it's similar to uh, Beat Saber, and it's basically where like targets are coming at you, and you have two bats or like lightsabers, and uh, targets are coming at you in the flow, in the rhythm, uh, to music, to songs, and then you have to hit them in a certain direction, uh, and it's challenging, and it's fun, and it's a great workout, and so we actually had this uh, this challenge come up the supernatural community will do challenges every once in a while and this one was you have to do so many basically like it, it equated to being about an hour and a half if you averaged it out every day it was for seven days you it would be about an hour and a half of working out per day um in a certain specific way within the system i'm not going to get into the details it's not particularly relevant but it ended up being about an hour and a half and that's it was a lot and so doing an hour and a half of those type of cardio based workouts and especially with a lot of the boxing and and everything it was like it was very taxing and we were both looking at each other she was trying to do it while she was working she was on the road working i was here working and so we we're like trying to balance this thing out and eventually she gets back in town for like the last day and a half of it and we're just crashing like i just got my kids up here um for us for the summer and they're here, and I was like, hey, just so you guys know, like, Yasmin and I are going to be going really hard in the paint on this virtual reality stuff, this this challenge. And they got super excited about it. They're like, you guys can do it. They were, like, cheering us on. It was great. And uh, so this was really cool. It was fun. It was hard. And we definitely earned, you know, every bit of of workout and and. and you know feeling of success through the sweat that we poured onto the ground but it was it was so much fun and that was kind of the beautiful part of it It kind of ties into last week's thing talking about networking connection and community this is a whole different type of networking connection and community because it's all the like-minded people but in a different flavor right nothing to do with business simply 
we're on a team with a bunch of people all around the world who are all competing against other teams all around the world that are all in this app on VR that are doing these workouts. And so we all know the kind of struggles that come with it and, and the nuanced details of it. And so there were like parties and groups that you could go in and be on while you're working out and be talking to people and talking about how much it hurts and sucks and everything. Um, so it's been really fun. It's been, it's been a great way and an entertaining way to bring physical fitness in, in a different way. Cause we have a beautiful gym out in the garage and really like lifting and, and doing workouts. Um, but I've found it hard recently to get good cardio workouts in. And we also do ultimate Frisbee, which is a lot of running and a lot of cardio. And so I feel my lack of cardio when we're out there running and tearing it up on the field. And so this has been a really cool way to to boost some of that cardio, the lung capacity and, and muscular endurance uh, through that. So you're having fun working out. You're able to participate in these fun challenges and competitions. And then we can talk to each other about it and what workouts we're going to do. And if our schedules align, we can even do them at the same time. We've timed it where we're like in the same room, spread apart so we don't hit each other. And, and we'll start like a song and a workout program at the same time. And so we're like, we're doing the same exact thing at the same exact time. And that's a lot of fun because there's, there's a shared suck in it. And I think few things bring us together like shared suck, right? So I think that that's a, that's actually kind of, uh, it's, it's really important. It's very true. And I think it's quite analogous to what we're talking about today with the Netflix uh, memo. So back to it shall we so let's dive in are we seeing a contradiction of terms here you know netflix says people over process while also saying that you know we're not we will not bend we're not gonna you know kowtow to this loud group of people um who are voicing uh opposition to content that we're we're producing and you can just see yourself out um this is actually of a place that you see a lot of businesses struggle and ultimately succumb and sometimes completely just fail and crumble to uh, to to in these scenarios. Now you can put people over process and not compromise on your vision of the future, right? Your your business's role. Right, like you're the reason that a business was founded, the reason that you founded your business, or the reason that the, the person that you work for founded their business was that they had an idea of the future that the business could help bring into reality, right? Um, so, fig this requires figuring out how to create tasks, finding the right people to fulfill those tasks, um, and and having that all work towards a clear mission statement, right? So you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing. You know, what pain are you solving? What tasks need to be accomplished in order for you to solve this pain? And who are the right people that you can bring on board to, you know, to break down the process and and handle different parts of the tasks and to pursue that new vision of the future through the actions that you're taking through your business, right? In other words, like your org chart, right? (laughs) So the org chart and the talent that you bring in are functions of pursuing the mission of the organization. 
Now, we did let that sentiment run a little wild, a little awry, <laughs> um, back in the, the early days of, well, really essentially like forever of mankind. And the United States really, we saw our first significant piece of legislation that, uh, that, that really addressed how crazy this got back in the early 1900s. This was like 1916 when the Keating Owen uh, Child Labor Act was um, put into place when the law passed. And that basically uh, outlawed child labor practices. And then, you know, since then we've made really significant strides in a positive direction when it comes to things of, you know, taking care of our employees in the workforce and not taking advantage of them, making sure that workers have rights. I think this is really important. Um, you know, I recognize, I think it's a beautiful thing and it really has shifted, you know, it, it takes, in order for shifts like this to happen, especially on the political side, typically what you see is a shift in the, in the culture and then the politics are trying to catch up. You know, this is not a political show. I'm not looking to get political here. This is just part of the process of how we got to where we are now. It's all I'm getting into. Um, and so this was this was kind of like a mix, right? There was a culture shifting that's like we shouldn't have kids in there. And the, then the government reacted. They're like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. You probably should like pass a law that says that we shouldn't have these kids uh, working in these shops like this. This is probably not acceptable for the nation for our vision of the future right and uh and so we've made really positive strides you know a lot of people say we're still far off from where we need to be um i'm not i don't really care to comment on that it's not particularly relevant uh, i think it's unquestionable that from the days from the 1800s to the early 1900s i think it's safe to say that we have made huge strides in workers' rights and and removing a lot of the abuses that happen in the workplace, um, and I, I, one of my core operating philosophies, one of my 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 principles that I, that my business and myself that we operate from, um, at Resilient Talent Solutions is that if you take care of your people, just like Richard Branson says, you know, if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your business. Or I, I, the way I like to say it is. That if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of your customers and everything else will take care of itself. That's kind of my own spin on it. Now, I know it's an oversimplification, um, but it's not its not a terrible kind of base proposition to, to start from. Right? You can get specific and down into the nitty gritty from there, but I think it's a great place to start. Um, I think the problem here is it's like a pendulum swinging, right? It's almost like swinging the other direction where we're, we've a lot of organizations. Now, not all of them. There's plenty of organizations and businesses out there you can point to that say are still taking advantage of people and not treating them well. But there is a kind of cultural shift, especially in large mainstream organizations that kind of take this idea and they push it too far. They say that, they put the taking care of their employees in front of the reason why the business exists in the first place, right? So you should not take this idea of taking care of your employees so they take care of your customers. Um, you should not place that and sacrifice your vision and the mission of your organization, right? That's, that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. So while your talent <clears throat> and your workforce does not, they're not, simply cogs 
in a machine that you can ride until all of the gears fall off. You know, they are, it's important to recognize that they are not the mission itself, right? Taking care of your, your employees is not the mission. Now I know that can that can be taken and, and split and spliced and made, cut up to make me look like a terrible person but they're not like at the end of the day like your employees and, and their welfare is not your not the reason why the mission started you look at any business unless it's a business that's specifically designed to take care of people take care of people but even then the people you're taking care of are not the people that you're hiring right that's the thing is that just because that's the case just because they're not directly aligned in that fashion they're there to help you bring this vision into the into reality it does not mean it cannot be one of your core operating principles right it's kind of this difference between mission and principles right so your principles guide the actions you take to see your mission come into reality and principles are that are principles or they are what they are and we call them that because they're supposed to be everlasting right you can kind of you can update them and amend them but you really shouldn't too much otherwise you run the risk of things like what we're going to discuss here in a second with netflix <laughs> the the key thing is you know understanding what your beliefs what your core beliefs are as an individual and what you what you want your beliefs and core values to be for your organization to truly understand what those are and to communicate those publicly and widely and, and and stamp it on freaking everything because bringing in people whose core values and principles do not align with your own and it doesn't have to be your person like you can have values and principles for your business that aren't the same in your real life or like real life in your personal life um, but if when you're hiring, when you're looking to bring people on to help you see this organization's mission come to reality, it's really important to make sure that their principles, that their professional principles align with the business's professional principles. And that some of those principles should be that if you have personal values and beliefs that contradict with what the business does, then either you don't work for businesses like that so it was really nice to have you come in for the interview and you know this is not going to be a good fit or um or that i don't let my personal values interfere with my ability to do work right and i'm not saying that it has to be one or the other or you're a bad person for not doing something none of what i'm saying are, are moral um judgments or anything like that at all it's simply a matter of what is effective right and it's not effective to have somebody who who has their personal values aligned with their professional values and those values do not align with yours regardless of what they are if there's not an alignment there it's not going to work and it's going it's going to hurt more than just them and more than just you but all the other employees as well are at risk of the fallout from something like that so it's really important, I think, to gain an understanding of who people are. You know, it's a lot of people aren't necessarily in the business of having a thorough understanding of who they are and, and why they believe what they believe. Um, so the more you can kind of suss that out and figure that out um, through the process of, of interviewing and indoctrination um, and training and everything into the program, the better off you are. And 
I mean, this really makes me think of the days when probationary periods for hirings were more common because that's almost exactly what those probationary periods were for. It's for two things. You know, are you able to perform at the level that we expected based off of your resume and interview process? You know, or were you able to, like, if you said that you were an amazing writer and you wrote all these stories and we're going to be able to use these stories and then you come in and you're not writing anything and you're not creating anything that's intriguing or that we find valuable, then, you know, that's not a good fit. <laughs> and then also, if you're not a good like member of the fit for the member of the team, right? Like if you're just like the way that you believe and the way that you operate, the way that you communicate, if that's not a good fit, if your values don't fit, then you can figure that out too. And you can create these periods, you know, three, six, 12 months of periods for people to figure out. Now, like I said in the introduction, uh, <laughs> this can be a little bit challenging right now because there's there's high demand. There's a talent war going on out there and you're competing in it, right? So if you're, if you're looking at, you know, top talent and I mean, think about it from the, from the individual's perspective, the talent's perspective, if he's got two job offers on the table and one of them, uh, and all things equal, right? Pay benefits, time off, all that stuff are, are equal across the board. But one of them is saying, oh yeah, and there's a probationary period at the beginning. That's, you know, six months. And the other one's saying, will hire you, you know, then the person's going to err towards that security, towards saying like, oh, okay, well, that's not there. I mean, and that's something you can address head on. Um, one, you have a very clear understanding of what your principles are and a very clear idea of what makes you unique. So even if you are in that competition, you can show your unique characteristics of your organization. We donate to charity, adults, all that stuff that we can t handle and talk about. We talked about a little bit in the past. We can talk about more in the future when we deep dive into that. It's not really the time for that. But um, it gives you an opportunity to, to kind of showcase the differences and individuate yourself as an organization. Um, and then also, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you, you, you want to, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're able to kind of figure this out sooner than later. Interviews are helpful, but not great, you know, not perfect, I should say. And the probationary period is, is something that can be uh, a little bit of a struggle. But like I said, if you handle that straight on, if you communicate with them, like, hey, listen, this we want to make sure this is a good fit for you too. You know, we don't want you to feel stuck here. So this is kind of an opt, you can use it as like an opt out time. Like, hey, listen, you have six months to opt out. Where, you know, we, we assure you that we will not give you a disparaging remarks on the way out. Um, basically six months, if you don't feel it's a good fit, then you can leave and we will not, you know, right like we you could use this as a reference kind of a thing there's many ways to, to to skin that cat but like i said another deep dive for another day <clears throat> so the real question is how does this apply to your business right um so in order to answer that, you have to really look at the why. Why did Netflix make this change? You know, is it because they don't care about their employees? Is it that they believe in really radical views that just offend people and they're out there to just get clicks because things are offensive and, and you know, come what may? I don't think so. I think it's actually quite the opposite. You know, they're... A business at the end of the day right and they have a business model and and part of their their business model like 
is to really look at how they're able to provide a very wide breadth of engaging content that's going to keep people coming back for people across cultural spectrums, across social spectrums, political spectrums. You know, they, they don't want Democrats or Republicans. They don't want people from the South or from the North or from the East or from the West. You know what I mean? They, they don't, they want all of them. They want all the people. <laughs> Niching down is cool and good, but it's not really uh, in Netflix's uh benefit to to niche down in such a way that that eliminates all of these people that could be enjoying content if they just went and kept it more broad in so doing and in pursuing this they have encountered a small but loud you know uh opposition from within their own organization and uh and that's that can be challenging especially when that that opposition has connections to a lot of people with loud uh, megaphones, you know, metaphorical in outside of the organization that they can lean on and, you know, go to Twitter and use social media in order to, you know, air their grievances about these situations and to, to try to create a backlash from people that don't agree. Now, as... Netflix um, and, and, and with any organization that has experienced, you know, rapid growth or even growth over time, you know, rapid growth is a little bit harder to deal with because it's just everything goes so fast. It's hard to kind of keep up with it and keep your head on straight. But when you're when you're experiencing growth and both in popularity, you know, especially a kind of popularity that's within the public eye and um, and when you're growth also includes expanding your workforce you know you you're gonna deal with some growing pains you know and part of those pains kind of align or are, are as age old um as the hero's journey that we watch like use the base structure for like every movie that we watch uh so as as age old as the hero's journey is is the story of this um, situation with the companies with the growth of businesses and it's that a business comes up a, a person comes up with an idea they they launch a business in, in order to to see that idea become a reality and and be a benefit to many people's lives um, in Netflix case they they didn't create a new widget or a new thing that people wanted they took something that already existed and they made it significantly better and we all we all know what happened. I mean, I remember back in the day when I would get two or three DVDs in the mail from Netflix, not original content, just like Blockbuster, you know, and, and I'd get them in the mail um, instead of having to go to the store and then I could watch them. I have them for a week or two or whatever it was and I mail them back and then I'd get my next set in. I just keep my queue up and the movies just keep rolling in and it was something stupid cheap. <laughs> I don't remember how much, like five bucks or something. Really affordable and it was great. Then we eventually broke into the streaming service and the streaming model, and that opened up the whole new door. And it really changed even the way that we consume content, right? Like we, we used to have to wait for a new episode of the show to come out every week. Um, and then, you know, we'd all go in and talk about it the next day, and then we'd have to wait another week and the next episode comes out. And, and now we, we don't watch shows unless there's a unless there's like two or three seasons like we need to make sure if we're gonna make an investment in this that we're really gonna do it you know binge watching has become this whole thing 
you know, some 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 streaming models are actually going back and, and trying to leverage that that kind of break. Um, I think it keeps people along, you know, so that way you don't have to, you know, you come out with a whole show, you come out with a whole season, people watch that in a weekend or a week, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, you know, but if you have a show that comes out and you're releasing one episode a week and there's 10 episodes, you know, you have months, a month and a half of content there um, that keeps people coming back. And then I, I like that. I, I do, I did, I do miss and I do appreciate this shift because it's, uh, it does give you that like, oh, it came out. And then when it comes out, like there's this anticipation, there's this buildup and then it happens. And then you go and like, you know, other people that are watching it too. So you could talk about the most recent episode and then you wait in anticipation for the next one, right? I, I, I think that there's value to that, but that's neither here nor there. And I'm digressing quite a bit. I acknowledge. <laughs> so, um, interestingly, uh, I, I did, I did note that Blockbuster did have the opportunity to buy Netflix. If you guys aren't tracking this, back in 2000, uh, the I think it was I don't know if it was the board or just the CEO had a meeting with the the people who owned Netflix, and they were looking they were going to sell it to him for 50 million bucks. Can you imagine that? Oh my gosh! I wonder. Let me see if I can look up real quick. How much is Netflix worth? Um. Oh, I'm so bad at reading this stuff. So it's um. So their their revenue in 2020 was 25 billion dollars. Now, like revenue before costs and everything, 25 billion. They were gonna sell it for 50 million. <laughs> and the CEO, they said it was in a book. Uh, I don't remember the name of the book, but it came out. It was like the CEO did all he could to not laugh them out the door. <laughs> and then uh, Netflix did all they could to not laugh as they walked Blockbuster to their grave. <laughs> they declared bankruptcy less than 10 years later, 2010. And really, the the whole point of this is that you know Netflix really shook things up because they had they had a vision, they had a clear vision of of what the future could look like and what the future of of consuming entertainment could look like, and you know then what happened was money started to roll in, and then a lot of money started to roll in, and all of the success was coming in, and as is the case with most companies that are that experience this kind of rapid growth, you can become a little bit too focused on the wrong color right instead of the the bright shining star guiding your your actions and and the business purpose in the beginning you're following that green right and so it happens to the best of us it happens to the best of us it's hard to do when you don't have clear principles that you're sticking to and that you're using as a mooring and guidepost that like when things come up you're like okay well these are our principles this is how we operate now what are we going to do within these you know left and right limits that we have from our principles this is where we're going to act um, it's hard to do if you if you know even if you had them if you don't reference back to them when things get tough or when things get really good like it's you can get a little bit lost you know there's there's not a lot of resilience built into a blind pursuit of uh increased profits right there's just not a lot of resilience because there's not a lot of guideposts there and this is <laughs> this is why the memo is so fascinating to me because uh, 
for me, this memo is an example of Netflix trying to find their footing, trying to find their their value placed in principle principled footing once again. You know, rather than caving to a small but very vocal um, and uh, you know group within their company, right? From my understanding, it was a very small number of people that actually had a problem. Most of the people were like, "Yeah, no, we're good. Like, we're just." Yeah, I work on stuff I don't like. I work on stuff I like. It's not when I work. The, the mentality should be something like the principle around working. It should be like I'm doing my best to make sure that my job is executed, you know, expertly. Um, and so there are no whatever if you're editing or whatever their their roles are there. If they're creating when they're writing new content, you know, I'm gonna write the best piece of script for this new show possible. Uh, makes me think of Marvelous Miss Maisel, um, which was not Netflix, Amazon Prime, but that made me think when we were talking about the shows that release occasionally. That was one of that's one of them that I don't know if they always did that or they started to, but when they started to, um, it was really good. Like it was really cool that they did that. And um, but you think about the people writing it, you know, you're like, I just want to write the best stuff possible. I want to make it funny. I want to make it quick. I want to make it a beat. Um, well, not necessarily a beat, but up tempo. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, what I did want to look at is, uh, you know, like I said, rather than caving Netflix, rather than caving to that, that minority really loud voice in the room, you know, they chose to go with what their customers were demanding, you know, uh, good content, great content. And you know, Dave Chappelle to be one, you know, like if you can not like his comedy and that's fine. Um, you can think he's offensive and that's fine. Cause there's a lot of people out there that really like it. And a lot of people that if, if Dave has Netflix specials and that's the place you got to go to see it, if you're not able to see it live, like those are the two places you see him in person or you get it on Netflix. Like that's going to create a lot of people coming into Netflix. Right. And so that's creating a lot of value for those people, a lot of ways for they, them to receive entertainment that they want and only from netflix so uh with the memo i think what they did they did several things with this like one paragraph of the memo and a three i wanted to touch on and it is and i kind of hit on some of these throughout but just to make it very clear this is what i think that they did with the memo is that they created content for a wide audience adoption right and it's not I'm using content there in the plural. They created a lot of content for a wide adoption. You know, like I said, niching down may be good for businesses um, and maybe especially good for startups, but Netflix depends on creating and cultivating very wide variety of content, you know, of things that are going to draw people from every which corner. The second thing they did is they were unashamedly transparent, which is what they needed to be in the beginning and what they need to be now and what they need to be forever in the future. If should they want to, you know, reduce the amount of turmoil within their organization, within their talent pool, their own talent pool. And that's, you know, you want to be transparent about with the workforce about their work about the expectations about what they are expected to do right it's the roles and responsibilities and so that should be something that should have been made very clear front and again in that interview process when you're getting to know somebody not only are you getting to know them 
and you're getting to understand what their values are and what they find to be important. But you're also making sure that even in the posting of the job that you're saying like this, these are the expectations. You are going to be working on a wide variety of titles from all sorts of genres and you're going to be doing these editing or uploading or whatever. I don't even know what the hell most of the employees do at Netflix um, unless they're creating the Netflix original uh, material. Like, I guess that's probably where this comes in. Um, but yeah, you know, so like you're going to like you might be putting music in for this show that's a Netflix original and you might not like the show but guess what like you're great at putting music in and if you want this job like you're going to be doing it for all sorts of shows some of them you might really like and some of them you might not but that's part of the gig you know our process is that we put talent where talent's needed we need somebody to put music over you know these parts of these episodes and so I think that uh, choosing this you know it's at the end of the day, it isn't about you as the business. It's not about you as the employee or the talent. It's about the customer. And like your business should be about kind of making that customer happy, making their lives better, solving a problem, right? And so if you're able to do that and able to work as a part of that, and as a business, if you're able to communicate that clearly with your prospects, your, pros your prospective hires, the easier it's going to be for everyone to understand kind of what's expected of them. And then, like I had stated right before, um, was that they are, I think that they, this is an active step towards realigning themselves with, you know, the principled actions that brought them to success in the first place. Now, part of my philosophy um, when working with businesses to attract top talent, as I had mentioned earlier, was, you know, when you take care of your talent, just like Richard Branson says, you know, uh, your talent will take care of your customer and everything else will take care of itself. Now, I hold this statement to be true while simultaneously agreeing with this. And it's for the reasons that we had just talked about, you know, how to be very clear, you know, you have to be courageous enough to be transparent right to to be willing to push people away and out of the organization that don't fit in because when you're bringing in people that don't fit in you're doing a disservice to the talent that's already there that is a part of your culture that's accepted and, and operational and effective and so when you're not doing that when you're when you're just like well hey listen you're great at the music you know overlays and so we need you and then they're like yeah i don't really like you know half the stuff you guys put out and you're like Okay, is that going to affect your ability to work on it? Like, well, I mean, it might. I don't, you know, if I find it offensive, it's going to be really hard for me to put my heart into it. Like, okay, well, that's really going to screw up everyone else's, you know, work on this. You know, if someone else is, you know, doing cuts from scenes and someone else is, you know, doing effects and whatever the case is, you know, the actors, you know, all of this, all of these things have to gel together in a certain way. And, and when, <laughs> when you're coming in, you're throwing a wrench into it. That's that's really that that hurts everyone there. And so I think that part of taking care of your employees is making sure that you're being really picky about the people you're letting in. Be exclusive. We're all about this inclusivity. And I we, we mean that I think that is meant to say that we shouldn't be creating an environment that is specifically keeping a certain type of person out. And when people say certain type of people most of the time they're referring to you know race uh, that seems to be the main cause of the day and, and, and not diving 
super deep into that. It's just, that's not the type of exclusivity that I'm talking about. I'm talking about all up here, all the mental stuff, right? Like I want to be exclusive and only bring in the people that are aligned with us in our mission. If you're not aligned with us in our mission, I don't care. If you're great at your job and you're aligned with us on our mission, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you believe, you know, on in what religion you practice on your own time. When you come in these doors, if you're able to put your heart and soul into this and you create great work, I want you on the team. You know, that's that's it's really as simple as that. You know, think about if somebody was uh was like, I'm gonna start a business and you know, I wanna make silly hats. And then, then you hire a bunch of people because you're like, oh man, a bunch of people really want these silly hats. I'm selling them and they're going like hotcakes. Uh, and, and I need to bring a team on. I need some more people to help me make hats, more people to help me sell the hats, promote the hats, market the hats, all this stuff. And then, you know, your team's expanding, expanding. Then you get these people in. They're like, hey, listen, I love it. I love all your hats. I, I have some. I'd love to work for you. You're like, cool. Then you bring them in and then they start working there. And after a couple of weeks, they're like, oh, you know, I really, I really don't like these purple hats. These purple silly hats are, I don't think they're very good. And I don't think that we should sell them. And if they come to you with some sort of argument about it, I'm like, by all means, I think that it's great to have an open dialogue and to be able to discuss these things. I think that that level of expectation, you know, if you choose to have that type of dialogue, which I think is very crucial for hitting Maslow's third rung like we talked about in the introduction. You want to create that sense of belonging, you give them a voice, right? Just because they have a voice doesn't mean that you bend and acquiesce to everything they say. So they bring in and say, hey, listen, I don't like purple hats. I think that they look stupid and I don't think they're silly. I think they're just dumb. Like, hey, listen, that's cool. You don't have to wear a purple hat. You know, we got all these other people out there that really like these purple hats. And so, you know, and, but if you looked at it and you're like, hey, if they came up to you like, hey, listen, the purple hats aren't selling. We're making all these purple hats. We got this backup stock. We're wasting a bunch of time and energy and materials and money. And, and you know, I don't see a reason why we're making. Then that's a whole nother conversation, right? And they're like, oh, okay, you're coming from a place of, of kind of neutral, objective understanding. Um, versus an emotional place where like, I don't like them. Like, okay, well, we're not this is, we're not in business to sell to you. We're in business to sell to you and to everyone else. And do we have other hats that you like? Oh, you like the red ones? Cool, well, we make those too. So just don't buy the purple ones. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the same type of mentality to take here. Now, I know this is a bit of an oversimplification again. Uh, sometimes it's easiest to do this with, you know, with with simple examples. Um, you know, this doesn't take into a f an account that, you know, like purple hats are offensive to people, you know, or, or have some sort of moral standing that people don't agree with. Uh, it's But the, the point is, the principle is the same, that... <clears throat> The principle that being aggressively and purposefully transparent and being clear on your core principles and your mission and and putting those together, so being transparent about that mission and how you see that coming into effect and what the expectation of that person, of each person on the team is, that is what makes the difference. And that is the key takeaway from this memo is that they saw that things weren't going right and there was turmoil brewing inside and they said, you know what, let's make this, let's make this clear. Let's be assertively transparent and we will let people know what the expectations are because apparently we failed to do this in the past. So 
that's a that's a huge takeaway is that just because you may have failed in or or did not show up in the most um, in the best fashion when it came to expressing the the purpose of the business and the mission and the the roles and expectations of each uh, you know position in the org chart does not mean that it's too late. It doesn't mean like oh well I didn't do that can't do anything now. Like this is a very clear demonstration that listen even after the fact once you see that the problem has occurred again this is using your principles as the goalpost like our principles our our mission is to provide great content for people across the spectrum of belief culture and background and so in that within that set within that that goal within that purpose you have the expectation you can create the expectations for the roles for each person and you can express those clearly and and when things come up you can refer back to those you're like oh well we're getting to the right of this like are we standing are we standing in our own way of pursuing these goals and these missions have we taken actions that that either are roadblocks or detours from that mission and from that goal it's hard to do that assessment it's hard to do that reflection if you've lost sight of what those goalposts are and what those principles are. So I hope that this was helpful. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, I hope that this was uh, a new and uh, more business focused take on the Netflix memo as opposed to a lot of the political stuff out there that you can get anywhere else. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you coming and spending some time with me. And I look forward to seeing y'all again next week for another episode here with Matthew LaStallion, where we talk about resilience and resilient talent strategies. Have a good one, y'all.